everyone. Welcome back to Central American Voices. This is Susan Garcia. Hola, bienvenidos a Voces Centroamericanas. Mi nombre es Alejandra Quiroz. Le agradecemos por sintonizarnos una vez más. On today's episode, we talk with Catalina Rodriguez Tapia, who's the author of Conflicted, Voices of Central American Migrants. As you may know, she just started the pre-sale, which is really important uh, for this book that's going to be published in December 2020. She's going to discuss more about what the book is about and her intentions behind the book. Hi, Susie and Alejandra. How are you guys doing? <laughs> this is, um, I'm really happy to be here uh, just to talk a little bit about myself. I'm Catalina. I studied at Georgetown University where I did a major in international politics and a certificate in international development. And then I get a master's there from Latin American studies. Uh, and with a uh, concentration in development. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Catalina, for being with us today. We really, really appreciate your time and especially, you know, for this amazing book that is about to come out in December 2020. Um, <laughs> just to start, um, just tell us a little bit of your story back in Central America. As many of you guys know, um, She's a Costa Rican who grew up in Honduras. So tell us about a little bit about what it was like growing up in Central America and kind of like your transition to the U.S. Yeah, so I was born in San Jose, Costa Rica. Uh, but when I was just a couple of months old, I moved to Honduras. And we were supposed to stay there for only two years. And we ended up staying for way longer with my family. Uh, I ended up living there for 18 years. Uh, we're talking wow. with Alejandra that I lived there for longer than, than she did. <laughs> um, but really, I think when I started living there, even though I was not from Honduras, I really ended up loving the country. Uh, I always viewed Honduras with a lot of love and endearment and curiosity even. Um, it has, I mean, I don't know, Honduras just has everything. You know, it has the amazing culture, the Mayan ruins, the amazing beaches, the garifunas, and their amazing dance. And I, and even the food, you know, the maliadas, the anafres, mm -hmm. the queso fresco from Olancho, like everything. It's just, it's such an amazing country. Uh, but I think what is most amazing and what I realized living there was how amazing the people are. Uh, people really, you know, they, they want to thrive. They want to, to, to reach their dreams, but they really struggle in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think like as someone coming from a different country and, and really seeing the differences between both of them, um, you, you start to like open your eyes to some of the, the deeper issues. Uh, and I think one of the most important times of my li life when I was in Honduras was going to medical brigades. And during these medical brigades, I had to go to this place called Los Encinitos and it's south of Tegucigalpa. And when I was there, I, I got to really explore outside of my comfort zone. And um, during the medical brigade, people would come over from far, far away. They would walk over sometimes for hours just to get medical attention. Um, and I was there just translating for the doctors because they're American and also people from the UK sometimes. Um, but I, I just realized really like how, how different the circumstances are for people in different regions and And mm -hmm. how, how they really want to thrive and, and they struggle. Like they really do struggle. Um, so I think in part, just seeing those realities and like being able to go outside of, uh, of where I used to live and, and my, my very comfortable bubble, I, mm -hmm. I started to see life from a different corner and I saw the good and the bad and I saw the happy and the sad parts. And, and it all really, really motivated me to, to like think about Central America from that perspective, how, how it's, 
such a great place, but at the same time, it has many problems. So yeah, that's that's a little bit about my my life back in Costa Rica and Honduras. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, in the end, I also have family in 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 the rest of Central America. So uh, it's just it's just a great region, right? So mm-hmm. kind of just you know continuing this thread, you kind of started touching upon it. So what? inspired you know to okay let me sit down and write a book centering the experiences of migrants yeah I think as I was kind of saying part part of what really made me interested was that I had this perspective as a Costa Rican and Mm -hmm. Costa Rica has many problems people who say that Costa Rica is perfect they they haven't been there before or like really lived there um so you talk to people they they there's corruption there's a lot of protests there's a fiscal deficit there's there's a lot of struggles, but mm-hmm. the types of struggles people live through are very different. And I real like you really realize that because this is this is in the end very much linked to migration in the sense that if you look at if you look at like the aggregate information of Central Americans who are like living in the or yeah, living in the US, uh in twenty seventeen, Costa Rica's share was one point four percent. And you can compare this to El Salvador, where it was approximately 40%, Honduras, where right. it was approximately 19%, mm-hmm. Guatemala, it was like 27%. So, you, you know, you just realize, like, there are struggles, and the struggles are, are real in the whole region. And mm-hmm. some people have, like, very hard dif- and difficult situations, and they live in poverty. And But in the, in the end, um, Honduras really did have more these structural issues that I was just, like, very interested in. Mm. Um, so I, when I studied, when I went to college, um, I, I was very interested in these topics. And I remember just any class where I could write a paper about Central America, I would write it. I would talk to my teachers <laughs> and that. professors. Yeah, because it was like my, my intellectual curiosity was just there. Uh, I was just like, why is this happening here? And what can we do about right. it? What policies That's are the right. best? And, and, and why? And, and because in, I, I was thinking it maybe from like a more scientific perspective back then. But mm-hmm. I think the most pivotal moment where I just realized I needed to see it from a more human perspective was when I might, uh, I went to, um, to Columbia Heights. So at this point, I'm already at college in Washington, DC, and mm-hmm. I'm doing an internship. And my task during my internship was to speak to migrants and it was really just a questionnaire. So it was very simple questions like how much money do you send back home? How often do you send this money? Um, I even had to ask like if they were there illegally, which I, I was very uncomfortable doing that at first. Yeah. Um, but eventually I realized like people saw that I had no bad intentions and they actually started to tell me their stories. So I'm there just interviewing people and, and trying to get the data that I was trying to get. And then they're, they're just like, like compadres, like let's let's talk more, and and they told me their stories, and some stories were really hard to listen to, but the people wanted mm-hmm. to tell the stories to me, mm-hmm. even though I was just a girl asking questions. Um, so I think that's when I was I was just like this, you know, that was like the missing piece, really. Um, that in the end, we're talking about these topics, and we're talking about migration from uh, like perspective of oh, it's just something that happens, but really, it's, it's the people. It's about the people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's when I, when I really like in, in my book, that's what I want to incorporate is we can see it, the numbers and we can be like this percent of, of people leave and this percent, um, say, and these are probably the reasons that they're citing for as, mm-hmm. as being the main reasons for leaving. 
but you need to include the people as well because otherwise right. you have you have you don't have the full story and and you're really missing out on on the meat and what's interesting and what and what can really humanize it and make it um more real for someone who is interested in the topic definitely yeah. definitely and i i honestly like really thank you for that because i feel like you said you know but you cannot base any everything on numbers you know mm -hmm. you actually need to um not only understand you know those numbers but you need to know like behind it and i feel like people's story tells you more about what is going in the region than just a simple number and data that you know people can put and use to, just to do research out of. Mm -hmm. so you know um i feel like it This type of literature is very helpful, not only for people who try to study the region and understand it, but, you know, for Central Americans as well, as you, you know, you want to more focus on the people and to give light to those stories. Um, why, why do you think in general, we need like literature like this, you know? Yeah, that's, that's like a very good question because I myself at first was like, why should I be writing this? Um, but I think I, as a Central American, I bring an interesting perspective and I think we need more Central American voices. Uh, Definitely. we need, you know, platforms like this platform, um, this podcast, uh, Centam Collective that Susie has, <laughs> you know, all these, all these platforms for people who are from Central America that where they can express who they are and at the same time, like create their own narrative is, is very important. Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise, you know, We, we got confused with the rest of Latin America or, or, mm. I mean, we talked about this, um, last week. We, we talked about how, how people think about Mexico and, and it, mm -hmm. our story is very different. Like the, the people, the migrants who are leaving on, and not just the migrants, I mean, just the people who live in the country as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, they have a different history. They have a very different identity and culture and, And I think it's it's important for that to be part of the narrative. So I think when when I started writing the, this book, I I was very interested in like providing that platform, not just because I'm a Central American myself, which I think is important, but also because I thought this could be a way for other Central Americans to send their message and to tell their stories and transmit that to other people who would become who would empathize with those people and. That's, I think one, that was perhaps one of the main reasons that I think uh, I thought we needed this type of literature. Um, and I also think another reason is because a lot of topics are oversimplified, like topics on migration are oversimplified. Uh, we talk about like people are leaving just because of crime or victimization or lack of economic opportunity. But like, what is that really? You know, um, mm -hmm. if when you talk to people, it's not as simple if someone is being extorted that that can be considered victimization, but at the same time, it can also be considered lack of economic opportunity because it's ruining their business. Um, mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I just thought that when you, when you start talking to the people, you just realize more things and you see different patterns than you would if you're just thinking about it from, from like the literature that has been created up till now, like the literature up till now is more, more scientific and doesn't include the people's mm -hmm. stories. Or if it does, mm. maybe it, it's not from the Central American perspective, but it's like from mm -hmm. another person's perspective. Uh, right. So I think these were these are all like important reasons I thought we needed something like this. And and, and yeah, I mean it's it's hard because you always 
if we all have that that thought of why why should I be writing this? But I think it's because of that. It's because I've seen it and I've lived it and I feel it. Like I I just feel like it's it's something I've always thought about and it has been in my mind for so long that I just felt people needed to read about it. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. for me personally, when Catalina, you first reached out, you know, and I learned about your book, I was just very excited by the notion that, um, you know, like <laughs> at first, when I saw the email, like skimmed it, I was like, oh, she's writing a book of Central America. I'm like, okay, is she Central American, you know? Because it's like, okay, you know, like I know books exist, you know, like, yeah, books on migration exist. And I'm like, okay, books on Central American migration are even rarer. But like books on Central American migration by a Central American themselves is that's that's just really rare, you know. And because especially like again when we talked last week, I specifically brought up like Janine Cummings' book, you know, American Dirt, which like mm-hmm. caused a lot mm-hmm. of anger within the Central American community because again, yeah, it focused on a Mexican experience written by a white woman, you know, who mm-hmm. like really and it was also like a fiction book, you know, it was like made up for like yeah. her imagining what migration looked like you know and it's like there were so (laughs) many missed opportunities there but I think a lot of it came because of her identity you know where she was like so disconnected that like she you know I think there was like none of this reflection that you know you (laughs) struggled with or like does she even Mm -hmm. know a Central American migrant you know Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so for me it was just like very very exciting to see that because um be- I think just with identity, there's gonna inherently gonna be like better reflection and more intentionality. And again, mm-hmm. because you, I mean, you talked about again like what you saw in Honduras and like what you've heard and everything. It's like all right, like she kind of knows like where to begin and like what like can be like the mm-hmm. problems and things to be considered about. And you talk about like oh, like it was even uncomfortable for you like at first to ask people about their documented status, you know and. Uh, believe it or not a lot of people feel entitled to that information you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, so for me personally that was just exciting that you know that can exist finally Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes no no thank you for saying that no it's also it's nice to like hear the the support as well because even even me I'm like I'm a person who who has had a, a good life you know, mm-hmm. and, and I know I have not struggled like many of the people I, I write about in the book. And even that was like, should I be writing about it? Because because of what you're saying, you don't want like a third person to be talking about someone else's experience and and just adding your own narrative and twisting what, what you know, mm-hmm. what people are actually going through. Um, but at the same time, I just because I was there and, and I really did try to open myself up to like different experiences. Like, as I was saying, when I went to the medical brigade and I actually did, I mean, I, I used to teach, <laughs> I used to teach English in like um, public schools in, in marginalized communities. So these experiences where you, where you just like tried to open up and talk to different people and, and not close yourself to that opportunity, I thought really did help me out and, and probably was, one of the reasons why I was like, okay, I think I can, I can write this book. Um, but I agree with you. If you oversimplify it or even, I mean, even talking about uh, the Jane Cummings, who was writing about uh, the experience from, from her own perspective as someone who is white and who also does not, um, like, what does not know what is going on in Central America, where people are going through. 
Um, I think that could even happen with a Central American, you know, mm-hmm. because because even Central America has its own sub sub um how do you call um like different groups if that makes sense like central americans have their Mm -hmm. own group and some people they close their eyes or they turn Mm -hmm. their faces to the the very harsh realities that some people live and it's Mm -hmm. very easy if if you live in a certain community and you are well off you can Mm -hmm. turn your face and be like no we're doing great this country is doing very well Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so so even then, that's that's why I was very scared at first, you know, because mm. I was like, I don't want to be that person. <laughs> okay. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's something I like. kind of got this when you were talking earlier. And it's like the first time the thought has occurred to me. Um, but I like, just wanted to ask you just out of curiosity. Um, so, again, of course, like, as we know, like in Central America, there's groups of like people who are who are very privileged. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, yep, yep. Well, there's a, a lot of the people who are migrating, like tend to be um marginalized either racially economically socially mm-hmm. politically um mm-hmm. in central america itself and i guess like maybe alejandra maybe you can also speak to this are there mm-hmm. people who aren't aware of the issue of migration from central america like how is that addressed in like you know popular discourse or like elite discourse like how is that seen i think it, it, people know that it's happening but from what I've, I, I have heard, for instance, people are like, or not even people, but the president being like, don't leave. Like, uh, you know, uh, there was this, this mm-hmm. was broadcasted when I was in Honduras. Um, when was this? Like a couple of months ago before COVID, of course. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I was over there and, and I saw the news and the first lady of Honduras is saying that, that people don't, should not be leaving. Just like, no, don't leave. It's bad. And stay here. And and I'm just like, you can't just say that and not do yeah. anything about it. <laughs> do anything. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And, and obviously, like... <laughs> obviously, like, she's saying that because the U.S. is pressuring the mm-hmm. country to not have more migrants come over. But you, you have to do something about it if you say that. Yeah. I, I feel like for... if. <sighs> I mean, it's a very, I think it's a very important question because even me, like, living over there and then migrating here, like, people, I didn't go through to, you know, as many migrants go through, you know, migrating here. I even feel privileged for that. But mm-hmm. I honestly think that that I, people, if we're talking, like, I'm, I'm talking, like, from, from the Durian perspective because I, I, like, I haven't lived in other countries. I feel like it's the thing that when people are in privilege, like in privileged position, like they said, like the government or you have a stable job, you it is not affecting you. So you don't see that reality in other places. If you like, you know, even you, Catalina, that, that you said, even if you grew up in a very privileged place and in your bubble, when you go to other places and you see reality is what opens someone's eyes, right? Mm. As but many people don't want to get out of the bubble, you know, they, or they live in, you know, in the cities there, you know, I mean, the effect that, you know, I live in those, you know, le llama residencias, nobody bothers mm-hmm. me here. But if they don't go out to experience what, what is actually going in a bus, what is actually, you know, going to other places, let's say like uh, a little town, what, what, what is the health system there? What is actually going to even a public, um, hospital what is actually going mm-hmm. to a public school you know like 
if people yes. don't spirit going that they will never understand why migration is happening yes. and as even the the president will say oh it's perfect here uh don't leave and you know it's, it's true is it's pressure from the u.s but you cannot just say it's perfect here and still living in, in this huge ass house when people don't have water in their houses when mm. their people don't know when if they're gonna have money to eat when people don't know if you know if van esta semana la escuela and the other week they will not have classes because of xy you know protests like, you know? It's, that, yeah yeah is is that is so common in Honduras like mm -hmm. in in is it is there and it's if people don't see it people say like ay pa que están protestando ay no más quieren mm -hmm. más dinero or just this if you don't yep. understand the reason if you don't sit down to hear them and see oh you know maybe this you know maybe I'm the problem that I'm not you know open my eyes and open my mind to understand these people that's why like the elites and people of privilege would not ever understand migration coming like going outside of Honduras. Mm. I agree, completely yeah. agree. Exactly. Yeah. No, and it's true and it, and you know it's 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 so crazy because it's it's in the same location, it's the same country, mm -hmm. but you see like there's two like two countries, it's like two Honduras or two mm -hmm. yes. any other country. Um and yeah. you can turn your face and just like you're saying be like, "Ay, porque están protestando, que que pereza otra vez." I know. <laughs> like it's, it's but but they haven't lived through it they don't know what's going mm. on or how difficult it can be and 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 for some people like that any any small change can can really affect their livelihood can mean like a day without eating or a day without you know without mm. access to some service so yeah no it's it's definitely it's, it's mm. definitely easy to not to to conform and to just think that that the, that the country is fine and that that other people are just lazy or that they're not working. Yeah. That's actually one of the issues that I've always been most interested in is, yeah. is talking to, to people who are, are very comfortable and, and that they just seem to be so um, like absent minded about what is going on and not caring mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. Not everyone, of course, some people care, but there are a lot of people who just don't, don't want to talk yeah, about it. Right. They, they ignore it. For me, it's just so interesting because, um, again, so like my family like migrated here as well, like my a lot of my extended family, and it's just interesting for me to hear because they come like I'm talking mostly about my mom's family, but they come from like an aldea that's like it's a very impoverished, you know, like they grew up like in like absolute poverty, um, and like now they're a little bit better, but because of you know they're receiving money from like people here in the states. But it's like mm -hmm. so accepted, you know, that like half of the people are coming to the U.S. anyways, that it's not judged. Mm -hmm. But I've never thought about, you know, like I didn't even like really know like the concept of like elites in Guatemala until like the last five years, you know, like, oh, what? there's like people who are like doing well off there or like in Central America, I guess, because of like, obviously, my family doesn't come from like a privileged class at all. So that was just an interesting like when you were talking about it at the beginning. I was just like, oh my God, like there's people in these countries who don't understand why people are leaving. I've only thought about it in like, you know, from like the perspective of like of receiving countries like, oh, like do people in the U.S. understand why people are migrating? Um, so that was interesting. Um, no, that definitely. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. But to get us, you know, back on track. Sorry. I I mean, you, again, you already, like, talked about, like, why we, you know, need literature like this and, like, how to, um, 
you know, foster more understanding and, you know, like us to, by looking at like the personal experiences of people. Um, and of course, like in your summary and in your um, pre-sell, you talk about how you discuss more about, you know, how like the countries have like failed a lot of the migrants, right? You know, like, again, like people mm-hmm. aren't getting the support they need, the basic necessities and stuff like that. Um, but I also want to talk more about how how do you address like the U.S.'s role in the region and like how that has affected migration? Yeah, that's very important because, I mean, we all know and, and have experienced how the, the U.S. is the main sponsor for the region at mm-hmm. the end. So so they pour in money and they probably have a bunch of projects and trying to help the region on the one side. But mm-hmm. on the other side, there are always strange <laughs> forms of interference that mm-hmm. i mean to put it lightly it, it can be sketchy you know um mm-hmm. i think like it's and we haven't talked about nicaragua but i think the best example is in nicaragua with yeah. the contrast and um using money from the iran like from selling to iran and, and mm-hmm. using that money to fund the contrast in nicaragua against the, the sandinistas I, that's that's like a very good example. It's it's mm-hmm. talking it's talking about the region and trying to help it and having something like La Alianza para el Pacifico, and mm-hmm. and saying we want to help, but at the same time having other tactics that are just taking away uh, from from you know the region's development. Because um, right. the, the region, like the region, is called underdeveloped, I guess, and. It may be compared to other countries, but you you can't be trying to help it develop and pouring money, and at the same time undermining what the people right. want, right? Precisely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's in in my. I mean, I do write about it in the book as well, and I give other examples. Um, mm-hmm. In the in the policy side, is really the it's historically been uh, a very difficult position that the U.S. has put Central America in by interfering and just doing things that that are are contradictory in the end um right, i think sure. if the u.s wants and and especially now that you know now that the rhetoric is is just like we don't want these migrants and we don't want them to come in then then you have to address the root mm-hmm. causes and the root causes mm-hmm. like continue to be like economic opportunities and this and that and crime and but if those are the reasons why if crime is the reason for instance why would you send money to to support troops that are killing people for instance Mm -hmm. actually not too long ago i spoke to someone who who told me um melissa vida do you guys know her yes you love her fantastic (laughs) shout out to melissa (laughs) shout out melissa She what she sent me this article of how the U.S. was sponsoring. This is a CNN article, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. How the U.S. was sponsoring uh, basically death squads that are killing gangs, gang members, or other or other criminal people. But you know, this this has been done in the past. You know, the Manaluda approach mm-hmm. of like let's kill yeah. everyone and like put mm-hmm. everyone in mm-hmm. in jail, and it hasn't worked. But the U.S. is still is still helping fund that. So it's right. contradictory because if the main reason that people are like one of the main reasons people are leaving is because of the victimization and crime and and violence and why why would you fund something that's just part of the problem even if it's like against uh, against the, the gang members we already know that doesn't work so right. yeah it's pretty insane she she sent me that article and, and nobody she was like nobody talked about it 
And I was like, you're right. I just, I, I'm so interested in Central. I, I'm so interested in Central America, and I did not know this was going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to find. And if, I don't know if you've like looked into this a well. Have you heard of the School of the Americas? Oh. Oh, oh. yeah. God. Yeah. I that's, heard of it. That's, that's something you need to so look bad. into because that, oh, yeah. that is something else. So no, for sure. And I'm glad that you do address that because, as you said, like you as someone who like is interested in central america like didn't know about this and again like these are things that i learned within like the past year if not like the past six months you know mm-hmm. um as people who are actively trying to learn imagine like again the people who aren't which is i think is a mm-hmm. good amount of people obviously um mm-hmm. which again adds to the importance of you know books like this definitely. yeah definitely uh, i was gonna say uh just continue what uh, uh catalina was saying about how you know the root cause of you know it is the u.s i remember when i was living back in honduras um the you know how they say like oh the u.s donated this amount of money but most of the money goes to security but it was mm-hmm. i remember seeing this of like fund of like patrullas de la policia but you know it that money that was like expended or like invested in honduras to to do something it was always put for security and at the end it never never helped um and and uh i don't know if you touch um uh, or maybe this is like a question about how you know people see you know the police or even people that are there in central america to protect you as you know they're actually not there to protect you and mainly they uh some people actually migrate for the same um you know after they're experiencing extortion from gang members or any other you know difficulties with gangs how when they reach into the police there's nothing solved there because and there has been many times where the police is actually linked with gang members Yes, I know. Absolutely. That's definitely like one of the recurring themes. And it's it's so crazy because, um, for instance, like one person I spoke to there, they, they were being like beat up by their significant other and the significant mm-hmm. other was a police person. I think that was just like an interesting example of just how crazy it can be. She's like mm-hmm. being, being hurt by the person who's supposed to protect her. And you mm-hmm. see it a lot of cases like with extortion, as you said, and, um, the police not helping out. So, so you like really do question why, um, mm-hmm. like what they're there for. What what is the main purpose if it's not to protect the people, or is it just mm-hmm. for a certain groups of people that that have like certain you know privileges or like a, or a certain social status that are being protected by the police? Like who who is it in the end? Um, right. And I actually, I mean, my book, it's still a work in progress, as I, I, I have told you guys. But one of the things that I, I think about a lot is, um, you know, how, how we see the U.S. as the example and mm-hmm. of social justice and democracy, et cetera. And mm-hmm. as I'm like, as I'm, as I'm writing, this whole situation just goes, like the whole situation in the U.S. changes my perspective, mm-hmm. the, the whole George Floyd thing and the police brutality portion of it coming in and me realizing like wow maybe maybe the u.s isn't as great as people make it mm-hmm. seem like yeah. it is a great country and, and it definitely provides opportunities and and i think like i mean the u.s has a lot of great qualities but mm-hmm. I, it was just interesting to see how how the same issues that i was seeing as i spoke to people like kind of seem to to happen as well here especially especially mm-hmm. for certain groups you know, mm-hmm. like certain group of people. 
Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So just um and that that is completely true. I feel like many other people have, you know, that I personally think that the US lo ponen como un pedestal, like they glorify yep. the US oh, very yeah, central America. Sure. Oh my god. It's so like that you sure. but when you come to read and do your research, like como que se te cae la venta de los ojos. Like it's like yeah. wow, like it's you come to this surprise of like, okay, you know, every country has their good and their bad, you know, yep, yep, but yep. you cannot only put like, oh, es que es el país más grande del mundo, cosas así, you know, and then <laughs> you know, the power story. Um, just uh, to going back to your book, which I'm very, very interested, how you kind of like split your book in three parts. So I don't want to, if you want to talk about more about, you know, those three parts and why did you divide in that, um, in that way? Yeah, um, so the first part, I thought there was like a very important component of the historical uh, waves of migration. So thinking back to civil wars and revolutions and conflicts that were going on in the region, I thought that was like very important because many of the re issues that were going on back then, sure, like marginalization and, uh, and, um, and violence are still happening today, you know. So uh, in that part, I start to like I actually interviewed people who had left, um, especially like from El Salvador or from Nicaragua, who had left their country um, during the, those conflicts that were going on in, in their countries and and their stories about them leaving. Um, so that's the first part, just like looking at the historical part and linking it to today and seeing like, how are they still connected? And and why, you know, because in the Central America, for instance, had the peace accords. Um, mm -hmm. And that was supposed to end the civil wars that was going on in Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras. Um, and there was actually an interview not too long ago with, a couple of years ago, I think, with Pre uh, President Oscar Arias, who is the Costa Rican mm -hmm. um, Nobel Peace Prize, who mediated the peace accords. And he just like looks back and he's like, we didn't solve anything, you know. Um mm -hmm. Clearly, Central America doesn't have, you know, doesn't have a civil war anymore, but many of the problems are still present. And mm -hmm. and so I, I think about that a lot. And I use some examples of people who have left and um, who left back then and people who left now. So that's the first part of the book, more like the historical how we got here <laughs> portion. Mm -hmm. And then the second part, I dive deeper into like what the root causes are of of migration. So I, I talk to different people and I try to like, um, show how how their stories are different because in the end everyone has a different reason for leaving. Mm -hmm. No, nobody's like leaving for the same reason. Um, but a, a lot of them do have the common factor of not being protected, and I think that's like one of the main themes of the book is that the state did not protect the people. And so, mm -hmm. in the second portion, that's where I, I start to go into you know look at victimization and criminal. Um, their victimization and, and violence that people have faced and that being one of the reasons why they leave. Um, I also go into, into, uh, lack of opportunities and how people have really struggled, like worked and worked and worked so much in their home countries and they just, they just couldn't make a living. And sometimes mm -hmm. these people were like educated people, you know, like mm -hmm. they, they should have been able to find a job because they were qualified and they were smart and, and they couldn't. So, um, So they left, they took the decision to leave because of that. Um, so as I say, that, that portion is more looking at to, at the different stories. And that's probably like the meat of the, 
of the book and which the part I like the most actually is um, that that the stories and how they're all different, but how they're all, you know, also um, part of uh, part of why under, uh, understanding why people are leaving in the first place. Um, so that's part two. And the third part is more looking at what has gone wrong in the region uh, from like a policy perspective. And the thing is, I can't propose a policy that's going to work because we have tried so many policies like the U.S. has tried, um, the, the countries have tried. And in the end, there's 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 still no no one bullet, you know, with silver bullet as to what we should be doing. Um, but at the same time, I do I do want people to know that there's things that have not worked and that should not be happening and that are still happening. And I mean, this goes back to what we were talking about, like the U.S. policy um, and what they have been doing in Central America in the past and how it, how they kind of counteract it with other different, um, you know, interventions that that are just negative and that don't help the region at all. Um, so, yeah, the third part is more a policy aspect of uh, mm. what we could do and how we could rethink about what has been going on so that so that we improve those circumstances. But that one, you know, the policy part is really the hardest one, because, as I say, I don't have the, I don't have the answers <laughs> and I don't think anyone has the answers. We can all try to think like what we can do. Uh, we can try to see how we can use migration as an opportunity even. And I do talk about that as well. Um, like the remittances are actually really important. Um, in, in the end, remittances, like you were talking about this, remittances represent a huge part of the GDP in the Northern Triangle. Um, mm-hmm. And nostalgia trade as well, like me wanting to buy my frijolitos or, mm-hmm. or, or me wanting to buy something that I miss from back home. That's, that's important for the economy. Um, but a lot of policies are, are counter to that. Like for, in, in, like speaking about remittances, um, Trump wanted to charge a tax on remittances and that allowed the tax to reach people who were, you know, had the different status who might have been illegal, illegally in the United States. And so that was like a way, you know, he, he was trying to pass that. I don't think he was able to in the end, but that was how, how we, he wanted to to build the wall <laughs> in oh, no. his mind. And so if you do that and you're thinking about the fact that remittances are so important for these countries, like they, they represented 50% of household income, just remittances mm-hmm. uh, in 2018 in Northern Triangle countries. If you're thinking about that and the fact that economic opportunities is one of the main problems, then it's, it's just counter. You're, you're eliminating a source of income for people who are already struggling with their income and expecting that to like build a wall. So, so anyways, yeah. you know, policy part is more a, like a critique of what has been done wrong mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. that we can rethink about. Um, mm-hmm. and like right. new perspectives. But yeah, that's definitely the hardest part to talk about or yeah, to think sure. about. I because, can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, those are the three parts of the book as of now. Okay, I just wanted to um, ask you, you know, now that you explain it clearly the entire, um, your entire book, how, you know, migration and how policymaking, what was and what is the history of it? Uh, my question is, um, are you going to incorporate how people mainly from the Northern Triangle, which includes like Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua, have migrated to Costa Rica and why is 
the people, you know, look at Costa Rica as a better option to migrate rather than, let's say, the U.S. or Spain. Yeah, that's actually a really important part of the book, because as you were saying, um, Costa Rica, as you say, many, many people are actually leaving to Costa Rica and seeing it as a better option um, because the, the restrictions are less and the rhetoric are the rhetoric is not as negative in general. Um, there is some negative rhetoric in terms of Nicaragua. And that's something that, you know, I think the, the country has been working on for several years. Um, but in the end, if you think about it from more like a, a, a the opportunity of entering first because of the ge- geographic location of Costa Rica, it's much closer. Uh, that's like a big plus for people who are trying to leave. Um, second of all, the, the language is a huge plus as well. So it makes it uh, a better option for people who want to integrate more easily. And third, third of all, it's also a country that that has a higher uh, receptivity to refugees in the sense that Costa Rica is part of the United Nations refugee status. Hunt. And, you know, the U.S., for instance, and and Cuba, both the U.S. and Cuba are not part of it. They're the only two countries in the world that did not ratify uh, the United Nations um, Act on Refugees. So so Costa Rica, because of that, like they they will take people in from from different countries and grant them the refugee status uh, if they have, you know, like if they're victimized or they have been attacked or, you know, many other reasons. They, they won't take them in as refugees for economic opportunities reasons like that. But, you know, in the end, because it's Central America, they can still live there and, and live there legally in the end. Um, so in that sense, Costa Rica has become like an important location and destination. Um, and so I do mention that story as well. And also one of the reasons Costa Rica is important is because a lot of Nicaraguans have lived, have lived there for many years. And the, the population of Nicaraguans in Costa Rica is very big. Um, mm-hmm. they, they have really grown a community over there. And, and I thought that if, if we wanted to include Central America, a lot of Nicaraguans go to the U.S., but a lot of them, and I would say most of them, would, would go to Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was important to mention yeah. that as well. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's really important because it was like, again, like when I started the work with the Sansom Collective that I learned like, oh, wow, like, you know, of like, what is it? Is it, I don't know if it's like intra or inter, I don't know which was the correct term here, but like within Central America, you know, there's migration, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, like people go to Costa Rica, people go to Panama, you know, like people, um, don't necessarily mm-hmm. always go to the U.S. And, you know, again, like a lot of us who do go to the U.S., we're like, oh, like that's the answer, the U.S. But also, you know, Melissa, you know, who she's based in in Belgium, talking uh-huh. about, you know, how there's a growing Salvadoran diaspora in Belgium or I've talked to people, you know, who are a lot of people increasingly going to like the Netherlands or Spain or even Italy. Um, and so I think it's just, you know, it, it's a good step towards like expanding the conversation of like, oh, like people don't always go to the U.S., um mm-hmm. so I like I very much do appreciate that but now that you I mean given us like an in-depth overview of what the book is you know if you could tell us what are what are your goals in writing such a book and having it published out there yeah the goal so I mean I've been mentioning this I think but one of the main reasons is I, I want to raise awareness and what is going on in Central America because uh, if you really listen to these people and, and you you hear their stories, 
it's so hard not to emphasize or unless you're a robot. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, <laughs> no, but it, it, like the reality is I, I think people don't, don't think of migrants in a, in a light sense because they don't understand what's going on. And I, I do want to raise awareness on, on it so that people can, can finally understand why they're leaving and, and why it's important for, for countries like the U.S. and other, and other countries to, to help them out. Um, so I think that's one of the main, main reasons I want to, wanted to write this book. And it's one of the main, uh, goals I have in, in the, in the long term. And on top of that, and also related to that is the fact that I think there's a necessity to eliminate the stigma, uh, on migrants. Um, they're not bad people. That's the thing. There's, there's good people and bad people in the States. There's good people and bad people in Central America. And, mm-hmm. and, and really, I think if you listen to like the majority of the stories and to the majority of the people, it, it, it's, it's very clear that the people are not going because they want to take your job or to kill people or, you know, <laughs> all these, all these weird messages that we, we have linked to what a migrant is particularly from Latin America and particularly Central America, uh, it's, it's different. It's, it's harder for them. They really try. They, they sometimes really try to stay in their country and they really want to want to stay and they're, they're conflicted. And so Mm -hmm. I think if you, if you hear the stories that that starts to erode the stigma that exists currently with, with migrants. And I think that's really important. Um, So if anything, if at least one person, can you know change their mindset and step mm. back and think about it from the perspective of a migrant rather than the perspective of just oh these are people uh, these are people who want to take my job or this is just like a policy that's that we're choosing i think that that is already helpful so i think people will, will start to act accordingly and and help them out some way if they need this help right yeah, yeah. definitely Definitely. And, you know, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. And definitely we're very excited for this book to come out in December 2020. I don't know if you want to share the details. Uh, uh, right now there's a pre-sale going. How can they access? Um, and you know, if, there, if there's going to be an Spanish version soon or how does it going to come? And how can, you know, tell me uh, and how they will be able to purchase your book. Uh, of course, all the details will be linked and or notes like always but you know just hearing it from the author <laughs> yeah for sure no thank you guys for having me too and in terms of the the pre-sale you can pre-order your book uh today <laughs> the i think when this is posted there's going to still be 21 days left until my campaign closes and mm-hmm. you can access the link it's on indiegogo um the logistics is basically you pre-order today and you get the book in December 2020, but you become a beta reader. And what this means is you help me cover, uh, you help me pick the cover of the book. Uh, you can also give me feedback on the book itself because I will be releasing a manuscript to the first mm. manuscript to the beta readers so that they can provide feedback and, and give me comments if they wish to provide those, that feedback. And uh, on top of that, I also will be giving a signed copy of my book with a special note Ooh, to those beta oh. readers. Yeah, oh, so, yeah. So you become part of my remaining book journey because as I, as I mentioned, it's, I have a first version, but it's not ready yet completely. 
Um, it's mm-hmm. still a work in progress. So you become part of my my um, it, you become part of my book journey, and at the same time, you help me uh, with the publishing costs. So yeah, so yeah, amazing. those are the logistics. Oh, and the other question, uh, and I've actually gotten this question a lot because it's a very important question is. Uh, Spanish, the Spanish version of the book will not be released right now. I was going to, but because this is an American company, a company based in the United States, I thought that the best approach was to have a first publish, publisher here in the United States, uh, and then translate this book and give it to another publishing company so that they could help me out in, um, reach like a, a different market because I think if I publish with a Latin American press that way I have a, yeah. a better reach on people in Latin America as well for sure uh so and that way I think that it will make more sense um I didn't want an, a U.S. company to be the one producing the Spanish book so that will be in the future hopefully soon so stay tuned <laughs> But it's yeah. definitely important because in the end, like the book is for people who speak Spanish. A lot of people, I, most of the people I interviewed, it was all in Spanish, and and it wouldn't make sense if I didn't do it in Spanish as well. Mm. So so yeah, definitely, <laughs> it is in the plan. Very exciting. No, I just wanted to thank you guys for having me. This has been <laughs> awesome. I love talking to both of you. <laughs> and I also thank you guys for having this really cool platform where a lot of people can talk about these important issues and and go more in depth and and I do appreciate it really guys. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Well, thank you Catalina um for talking to us about your book and everyone. The link is going to be on the notes um at this of this episode. Um so please support Catalina if you can or also a share of course goes a long way. Yes. Thank you yes. Catalina. Yes, and I just wanted to add, uh, we have a schedule with Catalina. Hopefully, by December, we're going to have a live after her uh, book is already mm-hmm. out. Right. So, please look uh, for that soon. And, of course, please support our Central American outdoors because we need more literature like this. Yay! Okay. <laughs> Don't forget to check out our website at centralamericanvoices.com where you can subscribe to our mailing list. Also follow us on Instagram at Sentam Voices Podcast and on Twitter at Sentam Voices Pod for more updates. And don't forget to come back next week to hear our newest episode. Bye.